0: Welcome to the Sustainable Life. I'm Josh. I'm here with Gautam again, and it's been a couple of weeks since last we spoke. I'm sure the listeners they just like jumped over, and they heard us ten seconds ago, or maybe I've combined the the audio into one. But uh, let me see if I'm if I can recall when last we spoke. You had talked about redwoods and whales, and the mere existence of whales and cancer, which I happen to look up, and uh, and sailing and. You, so the Spodek method, you had, you had connected with the emotions. You had then, um, started to think about things, but also you have other stuff going on in life. And you said, when I said, let's reduce it to a smart goal, then you said, let's, uh, I, I can't really do anything right now just because stuff is going on. And I, I didn't, I don't think I said this to you, but internally I thought most people, when they say that, they say, I will really get to this. And they really mean it when they say it. And then one thing pops up and they're like, gone, it's gone. But you with all your advanced degrees and your McKinsey and all that stuff. And I know that you're, uh, all the military stuff of like, if you say you're going to do it, then I said, I think this guy, I can, I can, um, I think he'll come back with something. So now I'm very curious if, uh, were the redwoods on your mind, with the whales on your mind, with scuba diving on your mind, and how did things go? So they were on my
1: mind. Um, so as as we were just saying, Josh, what happened was I, I started a well I started a new job about 15 minutes ago. So that, that literally, that is not that is not for the benefit of the listeners. That is not hyperbole. I literally got the contract signed 15 minutes ago. Uh, so for when we're taping this, uh, so as anyone who's done that process can imagine, it can become somewhat all-consuming. But I did think about it a lot, actually. So again, I'm, I'm not certain that sailing is the right answer. But there is this sense of... Let me back out. I think, I think we talked about this last time. Um, so my wife and I go hiking in Big Sur every year, right? We spend about four or five days hiking in Big Sur every year. And we were just talking about... The, just, just, just last night, talking about the fact that there is no five-day period of our lives together that we enjoy more right and there you know there are two reasons for that one is it is the stretch of time in which we come we both completely disconnect right we both say like we work you know we are not you know even if we have our laptops we're not going to open them right like like we will not turn them on we will not we were just going to be with each other and with nature and that is sort of unique that is powerful but the way I would put it is, I do not, you know, having spent too much time in economics classes, I do not observe it having diminishing returns. I do not feel that if we got 10 days of that instead of five days, we would get less out of it. Um, that which is maybe a testament to the power of it, or maybe a testament that we're just way too low, but there is something about, the, like, you know, every, you know, everybody has that job, but, but there is a sense of it that... so. The other thing I've been doing and it's not about nature so my uh, I'm in Miami at the moment right and it's not about nature in any meaningful sense but it is a different activity than what I normally do and it has made me think about this pretty deeply is uh is playing a lot of tennis so I grow up playing I grew up playing tennis not well I was no kind of an athlete but you know I basically stopped when I was a teenager and didn't pick up a racket again until I met my wife who was a fanatic and in her ideal life would play every day. and so when you start dating someone you decide well you know obviously I need to start taking up their habits and so I started sort of playing tennis again And so we're down in Miami. I've actually made it a point to play basically every day. And the thing about playing when you're hitting is, is you cannot, you cannot think about other things. Right. Does that make sense? You have to be entirely in the moment. Uh, It is, I think part, it is not the entire, because I think I would get, I get more out of being in nature than I do playing tennis, you know, playing tennis in in the middle of the city. but part of what you're describing to me is this sense of um, it's Matt. Uh, you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. Josh. He's a he's a professor. Um, he had an article in Nature on on uh, being present and how is it, was it Killingsworth Matt Killingsworth, I think. Not sure. Um, yeah, who had this uh, this amazing article that he did where he basically looked at the effects on happiness of people who are being who are present. Right. So he literally had them, you know, had to have them do an iPhone app where they were like, OK, so what, what were you doing in the last 15 minutes? And were you thinking were you there or were you thinking about something else? And he found out that it, that people who are present in their lives have an increment in their happiness that's equivalent to a huge slug of additional income, like a very large one. Um, and it's 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 re, you know, it's one of these results that is just shocking until you really think about it in the course of your own life and you realize how powerful it can be. Um, you, you, like me, Josh, you're a teacher, and I, I often think that one of the reasons I enjoy teaching so much, and maybe I'm curious if you have the same feeling, is that, again, it is one of those activities where you must be present, right? You cannot be in front of a 90 students and be thinking about something else. You, I mean, if it is, it will, you will fail in 30
0: seconds. Um, I mean, do you have that experience? I, I don't have that. Yes, I agree that if I'm not present, then everything falls apart. And I have to be really attentive to them. I mean, I have to both be concentrating on what I'm presenting and being aware of their reactions because if I start losing them, then yeah. The, so there's a performance aspect to it, but I, I haven't felt exactly how you said, but it's not foreign to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'll say well, like when I, when, I, I mean, when I first met my wife and we start you know, when we first started dating. Um, I was like, what, what was, you know, what was it that I found so enthralling about, about the experience about, and, and what a big that I realized that she was someone who around whom I was, I was entirely there, right? Like, like I didn't, I didn't have a second track in my head of, oh, other things I'm thinking about. I didn't want to, I just, you know, it wasn't that I was forcing myself not to, that was how I reacted to her. I was like, no, I'm here. This is where I want to, this is where my brain wants to be. It's not being forced to be here. Uh, in a way that I had rarely, if ever, previously experienced. Um, and so, so I get the conclusion I took from the, the two weeks, which uh, you know, like, had my life been slightly less chaotic, I think I would have put more into it, but it's not minor, was that, one, I need to find ways to make this a bigger part of my life. And two, this is most powerful when it, is, when it comes through a deep connection with nature. And that could be sailing, but it could be, you know, it could be anything. like even even tennis, at least I'm outdoors, right? Like at least at least you're in the sun and you're in Miami. So you're by the ocean and there are iguanas wandering by while you play. <laughs> um, it's just <laughs>
0: uh, it is it is like you. you uh, Have you spent time in Florida, John? Very brief periods here and there, like a week at the top at the max. Yeah.
1: So I make fun of it constantly. My wife loves lo- my wife comes down, lo- loves it. So I so that we come down together. And I'm just like, I, I'm not really sure how to react to a state where whenever it gets cold, they've put out warnings that you need to you need to be careful because cold stunned iguanas will fall out of the trees and hit you in the head. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it is apparently a real thing. It is not a joke they play on tourists. Uh so yeah. Um and so. So where it left me is, is, I, this is, what I'd say is the answer to your question. There's a very long answer to a very short question, but a very good one is I didn't make as much progress on it as I would have liked to, but the progress was real. Um, in that I'm not, I'm still not certain that sailing is the right answer, or I'm not still not certain what I'll be able to do in the, you know, yeah, you know, started the new job. But I don't actually know, you know, how it's going to affect my schedule. Um, but it did make me absolutely, you know, resolve that there had to be something. Um, I mean, let me put this differently. Have you, have you read um, uh, Adam Grant's Give and Take? I
0: think I've skimmed it. I may have read it.
1: Yeah. So Adam and I went to, I mean, he was, he was a couple of years behind me in college. Um, but, and, but anyways, um, but, you know, it's like an incredibly brilliant uh, academic. But one of the things, stories he tells is about someone who, has, who, who gets burnout and realizes that the solution to her burnout is not to do less, but to do more. Right. That it is instead of saying, OK, well, I just need to cut back and saying, no, I need to do the th- things that give me energy as well. The burnout is being caused by things that are taking energy away. Um, and so for me, it's OK. So I have, you know, like I'm taking on a new set of responsibilities and I'm really excited about that. I, I could not be more thrilled about about, about what I'm starting. Um, but that 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 cannot just be OK, you started a new job. There has to be something else added to my sort of portfolio of ways I spend my time that helps me to generate the sort of feelings and excitement that you described and that we talked about last two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, there was uh, I was giving you a lot of um, rope to to share what was going on in your experience, and but it's a very common thing that you were talking about, and' it's, it actually reinforces something that I find I find a lot is. People, if you just sit and think about these things, reflection is critically important, but it is not sufficient. I mean, maybe for some people, in most cases, the dialogue is necessary. That if you just go on your own, you're just going to think about stuff, but not really come up with anything. So when I, one of the big reasons I teach the Spodek method, and I think I told you about the the uh, the mastermind, the workshop that's coming up. Did I tell you about that? You did. Yeah. I haven't
1: been able to dive into it, but I mean, it sounds
0: fascinating. It's designed, it's going to be an eight session, eight week, eight sessions of two hours each to teach the Spodek method and also really get into what works and what doesn't work and why. Because when people say, I'm going to think about this and get back to you, it's hard thought. It's not like, even if you meditate and decide to focus on it, you still don't really come up with no, it's very rare that someone comes up with stuff. Whereas if it's a dialogue and someone is guiding you and not hold, not holding you accountable, but, um, you know, sticking to it, then it's much more effective. So people just thinking about, hmm, what can I do for the environment? Not effective. It's really, it doesn't work. And like, I hope you play a lot of tennis, but especially if you enjoy it and, and, and it I see you with your wife and so forth, but that's not what, that's not what this is about that's something you were going to do uh it's not something new it's not something that is it you picked up on it's important to have things in your life that are um conducive with your values and not you know you, you talked about last time about that flip of like think of the things you want to do most and then and then do it upside down and the things that are not like oh i just feel like you know getting some ice cream the things that are really deep and meaningful, those are the things to work on. You got that. I think us having a dialogue will make a huge difference as to going from sailing to some, it, it maybe finding a way to make sailing work, which doesn't have to be, you know, cross the Atlantic. It could be just take a lesson or it could be just, I don't know, it's your life, not mine. But there might be something there. If not, there might be some, it'll lead to something through dialogue that in my experience, reflection simply doesn't lead to solo reflection.
1: Oh, so that, I, I don't doubt that for a second. I would say is, um, I think solo reflection is critical. Meditation is really important. I mean, starting to meditate in, you know, in 2016 was among the best decisions I've ever made in my life. But, but I, do think, I, I do think, you know, to go back to the language of economics, I do think solo meditation and solo thinking has, has rapidly diminished returns. And so, yeah, and I, 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 that I have no doubt about that. It, you're, you that it is something that you have to do in dialogue, and then, and not just in dialogue, but um, you, know, um, you know, sort of. David Gergen says, right, always says that when you're thinking about being a leader, leadership is not about about preparation; it's about action, right? Like you have to act to actually do anything meaningful.
0: So let's get back. Let's let's see if we can get to. Let's recall. For a couple moments, the redwoods, the whales, Mm -hmm. or I guess the one whale in particular. (laughs) Talking to a guy (laughs) up in New England about the one whale. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yours was a different whale than that whale. Uh, Yes, I hope so. (laughs) So you're – remind me for a second, uh, take me back to walking among the redwoods where you might trip and fall over because you're looking up or the whale sitting there and you could touch it. The, what do you see and smell and touch and taste and and what are the emotions
1: um so for for the redwoods which is the more recent so it's easier to bring back um the emotion it's what it is is the interesting thing about it is the emotions are harder to to describe, to describe because they you know you're not having i remember what it was like when the red Sox won the world series for the first time Right. And, you know, I was saying that like I was I was in a crowd outside, you know, like, like in Boston and, you know, you, you've never seen 30,000 people delirious with joy right before. Like, I mean, it is an incredible experience, but it's not. Um, it was not in any and maybe this is because I'm not I'm not enough of a Red Sox fan, but I would not describe it as transcendent. Right. It was it was a powerful moment that I won't forget, but it was just a joy. And then I went back to the rest of my life like I did not feel that my life had been changed. In any meaningful way, other than this one sort of this one sort of incredible memory. Um, when you're out there, the first thing I think it does is it, at least for me, is it distances me from the concerns of my day-to-day life in a pretty in a way that I did not anticipate, but I found enormously powerful. You know, you've been having a tough day at work or whatever, and then you stand in the middle of a forest with these, you know, primeval giants that are 2,000 years old and that, that are, you know, what I was saying is, is, you know, if you're, if you, especially if you grew up on the East Coast the way I did, you can't really process these things until you see them. They're just, they're just so far outside your normal, your, your day-to-day life. Um, I did not find I did not find that they made me feel insignificant. I know many people say that they, you know, they make them feel insignificant. I did not get that feeling. What I got was that they made my concerns feel insignificant. They made me distance themselves from that and and be. I mean, it is cliche to call it uplifting, but it is also the right word for it. You just felt that your your mind and your spirit had been broadened and elevated in a way that no other, or not no other, but very few other experiences have. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent. I, I've heard, I've heard parents say that they had similar experience when the, you know, when the, when their child was, when their first child was born, things like that. Maybe that, maybe that is, is uh, a parallel. I can't, I can't speak to that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Even though you can't put a, a word on it, the ineffability of it makes it expresses its transcendence all the more. Actually, you said something about the Red Sox that I, I it caught me off guard. You said that experience was joyful and so forth, but it didn't change you, which implied that this did change you, like you're a different person now than before you experienced the Redwoods. Did I interpret that right?
1: I think that's. I, I mean, I I think it is. I mean, I
0: won't say it's. I mean, I didn't come home
1: and have people say, "Oh, you," but but I felt different in a way that I did not, you know, I did not expect, but enough that, that we make a point of going back every year, right? Um, what I found was, you know, I came back, and came back to my everyday life. And right. what it did in a, in a way, both, you know, both a meaningful way, but also a, a sort of a tactically useful way, it gave me the ability to, to sort of return there. Um, to that feeling and give me a little bit of distance when say, you know, something happens in your day-to-day life that, that sort of, you know, that sucks or whatever. That everybody has bad days. And every time I go there, I find that it gets easier to distance myself from that feeling. Oh, oh the, that, the bad, you know, like, oh, this thing happened and, and um, you know, you, you get a traffic ticket, right? And I, I have friends who are like, that ruins their day if that happens. And I was like, you know what? It's not a big deal. You know, like, you know, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm very privileged and that. That is not a, that is not a problem for me. Right. Like, and so it gives you the ability, give me the ability to step out of the day to day in a way that I did not think I would, I mean, it was not something that even occurred to me when we went the first time that, oh, this is, this is a benefit of going, but it was,
0: it has been very real ever since. All right. I have an idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go a little more focused than I do with most of the people that feeling of being able to take yourself away from the knick-knack day-to-day stuff. I contend that there is something natural. When I say natural, you know, I, you interpret that however you, however you want, that's nearby you, That's w- that you can access maybe on a daily or weekly or maybe monthly basis. It's somewhere that you don't have to fly to get there. Like maybe it's a walk within walking distance of, of your home. Maybe it's Do you see what I'm getting at? I I Mm -hmm. think that there's something, you know, the the universe in a, in a drop of wine that there's something that you can, my challenge to you, my invitation to you is to think of something you can do. Maybe you'll find it, maybe you won't. Maybe it's just the search for something like that or the uncovering of something like that or even just getting a hint of something like that. But I contend that within your daily or weekly or monthly life, that is, something of that is accessible and I, Invite you to think of something, to give it a shot.
1: So, uh, so as you say, you know, like I actually I don't disagree. Um, in the sense that, in particular, I I, I kind of think of this as as almost like a jump start. Um, I think it was easier to access in these sort of unspeakably beautiful surroundings, but. You know, most of the time, most of the time we live in in Boston, and I get the sense to you know, like, and you know, I I was not a hiker until I met my wife. She loves to hike, and then I started doing it because she did, and then I discovered that I love that I love it too. And I do think you know, New England can be remarkably beautiful in the right in the right season. Don't you know? I I won't I won't say you want to go on multi hour on multi hour hikes right now. And I think I had, we when we have done that recently it has been easier to access that feeling because there was this base of oh you know when I did when we did go across the country that it, that that almost started like it is possible to experience this in nature in a way that you know you're almost forced to by the redwoods but it's not the only it's not the exclusive path if that makes sense
0: Yeah what I hear you saying is Josh I agree it's something I can do now would you, Josh, please help guide me and and coach me into a smart goal so I can actually implement it? That's what I heard you say. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I, I think we sh- I think like
1: the simplest thing would be, you know, my wife and I both love, you know, we both love the hype now. Like the simplest thing would be to say that we should commit. And I think I think she would enjoy this. Like we should do that once a month, right? We should spend at least one Saturday or Sunday, you know, a big chunk of that once a month outside, you know, work, you know. Do, whether somewhere, somewhere in New England, so you're right. But we don't we don't fly to, and and trying to be in in immersed in nature in a way that it is still possible to be, on, on, even, you know, even on the East Coast. Uh, and as I say
0: that to you, it's sort of striking to me that we have not done that. Given that struck me too. I'm sure the listener's like, wait a minute, what yeah. are you doing with your wife if not sometimes that? That's a rhetorical question because yeah, I think you're asking yourself the same question. I think.
1: Yeah, I am, and I mean, and we, you know, I mean, we like. Do we do that? Yeah, I mean, we 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 do go hiking, but not not with that. You know, when I think back over the last year, not with that level of regularity. Because uh, which I I'm, I guess is one of the points of, of the method is because it's just so easy for it to be ta- to allow the day to day to you know um, my my you know my wife is writing a novel and she really wants to spend her she also has a full time job right she wants to spend her weekends on that and that's important like it's very important to her and I'm, I'm helping you know we're writing it together and. And I told like I told her because this is you know it's it's her first book it's my third that one of the things you learn when you're writing a book is you got to give a lot of stuff up right like 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 it's it is not actually something you can do without sacrifice that there that you you should look at every activity if you're going to write a book you got to look at every other thing that you do and say can I do this or can I you know like do I have to do this or can I spend this time writing um, and at least for me if you don't if you don't think about it that way you're you know it's it's very hard to get a book done.
0: I'm gonna, um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna try restating that that, that uh, life kind of gets there's other things that are interesting and it's very easy to put nature to the side for a bit and then look back and realize oh maybe I put it aside for too long and a bit too much and I didn't realize what I was missing and I really should um, restore it yes so, I know I think that is that is
1: exactly right
0: okay actually I'm I wasn't restating. I wasn't saying that was actually talking about all of Western society for the 10,000 years. We got a little sidetracked with stuff. We put nature to the side and thought, Oh, it'll always be there. And now we realize, Oh, we're so what, what's happening in your life is, is culturally what's I said, Western society, but it's not just Western society. It's like global society, uh, but remarkable. That's what I was actually describing. When I said to you, I said, I'm going to do this little trick. I'm going to talk about our world. Mm-hmm. And I bet it's exactly what's happening in his life.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, I mean, certainly. I mean, I think. So it's it's straight uh, the way the, from your phrasing. I it's, it's started. Um, I grew up. One of my favorite books when I was a kid was Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea.
0: Yeah, I don't know right. if you.
1: I don't know if you ever read it.
0: I may have. I forget. I mean, I know we talked about it in class, like in fifth grade, but I forget.
1: So I read it as a child many, you know, many many times uh and just uh just i just thought it was wonderful um and still you know i haven't reread it since i was then i should uh and then and then fell in love even more with it when i read its sequel uh the mysterious island and found out that captain nemo was an indian which i had no idea right and the first book is not revealed uh and i mean now as an adult i can go back and realize it's not revealed in the first book because jules verne didn't know that yet he decided it he decided that later right um but uh but anyways, but as, as an Indian American, it was sort of very powerful for me to have this mysterious, you know, brilliant figure be, be an Indian. But the, one of the things that is sort of stated in the book over and over and again is, um, is the inexhaustible oceans, right? It was just assumed uh, automatically that the oceans were so vast that, the, that there is nothing humans could do that would affect or deplete them. That's just a baseline. And of course, even in the nineteen eighties, when I was growing up, I, I would read this and be like, "Well, wow, that's a, you know, amazing, but not true." Even as a child, now, of course, we know that's impossible. That, 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 but but when you talk about that as a baseline assumption of sort of not just I mean, say so we say Western civilization, but I think it's almost it's sort of almost universal across every technological human civilization, um, how completely wrong it was, but how and also how deeply ingrained.
0: Yeah, there, are, I don't know if you've read Julian Simon or some others, but there are many who think that the more we use, the more there will become. And, uh, I say that not to pursue that digression, but yes, that's, that's there. And so back to I'm going to request your permission that if we pursue a digression too long, I'm going to bring us back on track to. Oh, sure, sure. Go for it. All right. So, uh, what I heard was that you have a, you, you do want to do something. And you'd like to focus into something finding, maybe it's walking once a month with your wife. Yeah. I mean,
1: that would be what I would say is like, I think, let me put it this way. I think if we did that and we committed to that, uh, in my wife's case, it would all certainly be walking once a month when it's warm because she does not like gold leather. Um, like I do not think that would be complete. That is, I think we could look at that and be like, oh, there's more we should plan and should do. But I think it would be progress. Let me put it that way. I think I think we would both take a lot away from that and feel that it was the right decision.
0: All right. Let's go in that direction. And experience with doing this with many people has told me a couple of things. One is that if you look for something perfect, the best route to it is to do what's available. And you will come back to me next time and say, On one of those walks we realized what would really make this perfect. And then you may on your own decide to do that thing or may you may commit to a next to a next thing. But action is the next thing. I mean Reflection alone doesn't do it, as we've talked about. Dialogue with someone gets you to start, and then the doing teaches you more. And that's why this is experiential and not a written exercise. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that when it depends on another person, it's easy for it to fall apart. So I propose that you make it something that you do these walks, and if your wife joins you, great. If not, you still go on them. Something like that and that might mean that you start earlier even you know when it's still too cold for her to go and then she joins you mm-hmm. and maybe you come back and you know if it was me and, and a girlfriend I'd say oh my god I found the best path you know I, I took some duds but I think this I think I found the right one so now it's good that you didn't waste your time coming out because now it's going to be great or something like that oh and um, and the last thing is well how does that sound I mean it sounds intriguing Um. It's interesting in that, uh, and so, so
1: my wife and I are quite different in that she is like very, she is, she, she sort of loves to do things on her own. And I am sort of profoundly social. That for me, you know, like fun in my head, enjoyable in my head, almost essentially is, is almost a one to one map with doing things with people. Um, but I think that would be,
0: this is, this is what I say is I think that would be a good experiment. I mean, do it with her. You just don't depend on her. Depend on. Yeah, I didn't hear you talking a lot about the other people there when you were in the redwoods. That seemed to be. Well, I'm always,
1: I'm, I'm always with her.
0: So was it taken for had if you had the opportunity to go there, like if I could snap my fingers and give you an hour in the redwoods right now by yourself, would you take it?
1: I don't know. Uh, maybe an hour. Uh, so I said an hour. Yes, I'm not sure much more.
0: Huh. Okay. Alright. That. So then. If we're narrowing it down to, or focusing it to, you going on walks in nature, uh, if your wife joins you, great, but if not, you still go. And my suggestion, I suggest that uh, in my experience, it's just access to nature. It doesn't have to be immersion in nature. So... When I, in my, my example, I'm in Manhattan, but there are these berry trees that grow near me in the spring. And when I'm eating those berries, <laughs> jokes that I, here's a joke that I make is, uh, I don't know how funny this is to people who don't know me that well, uh, So as some of the listeners might not, but nuclear bombs could be going off in the distance. And I'm eating these berries, I'm like, everything's good in the world. <laughs> I know that uh, there, because there's something intense about the experience. It's so, yeah. It's just such an amazing. I mean, it's just overwhelming the the joy and the fun. I feel like a little kid. I feel like an an emperor could not get riper than picking it him or herself. So there's nothing. It, it could not be better for anyone than picking the berries and putting them in my mouth myself. It's like this is the pinnacle. This is as good as it gets. Like this is, this is the top possible experience of nature. I mean, you know, redwoods are different. I don't know how they taste. I don't know if you can fit one in your mouth. God, I hope not. So the berries have certain advantages in that, in that direction. So to me now I'm still in Manhattan. There's still buildings around and I don't know if you can hear the siren off in the distance right now, but that's still happening. So that's why if you force yourself to immerse yourself in nature, you spend, you may spend a lot of time trying to find just the perfect state park or whatever. Uh, which I think will come faster if you simply aim for access to it rather than immersion in it. Because, you know, my experience, like I talk about these things and someone else tells me about, oh, here's where some other berries are or here's what's other. And, you know, the more I do it, the more it's easy to do more of it.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I I, I mean, like, intellectually, that doesn't surprise me. But I I just, as as when you say, right, it makes, it totally makes sense. And it's this, question of how you um, and I, I think this this is why the method is so powerful right because it is a set of practices that get you to overcome the activation energy that that makes it harder to get to the to, to do these things
0: yeah or um, <laughs> in that language I would say it's more of a catalyst that lowers the need for the activation energy and just gets you going mm-hmm. and yeah because one of the things I've learned from this podcast from doing this with hundreds of people. Probably thousands by now, if you count the workshops and things. Is that everyone's got it in them? We all—I mean, to me, it feels like we evolved in nature. We evolved for trees and bubbling brooks to appeal to us more than uh, concrete, which doesn't really quite fit into anything. And so, I don't have to—I don't have to try to force someone to do anything. I, all I have to do is tap into what's already there. And most people. It's so far that anything is something and they're so far removed from it that it's once they start getting it back, then it starts, it builds on itself. Also, the farther we go from it, the easier it is to, to pave it over more, which is why I don't care for things like articles that say, here's 10 little things you can do for the environment, which implies you don't want to do it and reinforces the systemic uh, goal of... Uh, it, it says it's on the other side. it's And the whole view of the travel industry is is where you are sucks. It's better over there. And that allows us to litter where we are and then tolerate litter at the place where we go because that's not really where we live. But where we live, that's where we get away from. Whereas in my world, I want every place to be... I want to maximize the joy and connection everywhere. I, that's where I've come to. I wasn't like that before. I was before, like, I grew up in Philadelphia. Give me a cheesesteak. I don't care about anything else when I'm eating this. I'm not stating it perfectly, and I have to remember when I'm on the podcast to not just casually throw stuff around without full explanation. But I know that if, if taking a walk with your wife or even on your own is something foreign to you, then I don't have to worry that if you start taking walks, I, I think the chances of you coming back and saying, that was stupid, I, I'm going to increase my Netflix subscription, I think that's very low. I think it's more likely you're going to come back and say, I had no idea this park was right on the corner from me, or I had no idea that if I overturned this rock that I'd find this, this life bubbling forth, which may or may not be a literal rock. So the next step is only to make it a smart goal, so which would say to, to specify like how many walks you go to for how long. So if I ask you how did that experience go, you could have a meaningful answer. And you know, I don't know what the answer will be. Yeah, I,
1: I don't either. Um, and I should talk it over with my wife uh, when she when she gets back from her from her meeting. But um, but. I think you're right, Josh, that, that setting it as a very concrete, like we are going to do this, you know, we're going to, we're going to do at least one, you know, one afternoon long hike every month. Like I, so, I just said, that. I'm, I, I'm sure if I said that, I think she would agree to it. Um, and if she can't, then I'll, you know, then I will at least try to do something on my own or with our, you know, with, with, with our dog who, you know, with our, with listeners. that's my, that's my only advice for your listeners. If you don't have a dog, get a dog. makes Everything in like better. Um, it really is true. Uh, it, it would be, I think, I, I, I like, I'm willing to to, say, I'm willing to say, okay, that is a very sensible, um, that is a very sensible, like a goal.
0: Okay. Uh, So I heard, I heard, Oh, and how many walks would it take or how many months would it take before if I, so that we can schedule. So if I ask you, how did these things go? You can give me a meaningful answer. So I, I so I don't know, John. In your experience, what do people say? I'm not you. <laughs> yeah. Uh I mean, it's got to be at least one, and I would guess it doesn't have to be a million. So somewhere in there, and I suspect that you may take more than one a month.
1: Uh, I mean, like I would hope to. I think. It's but you a- said
0: yeah, you set a minimum for a month. Yeah, basically. I think it
1: would be as important to set a floor, right? Yeah. Um, Uh, why don't we say, you know, why don't we say, uh, what what is it? It's, 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 uh, it's March now. Right.
0: So why don't we say four months? Okay. So before we hang up, but after we stop recording, we'll get out the calendars and set a, another conversation for four months from now. Mm -hmm. And in that time, there'll be either at least four walks, afternoon long walks with your wife, if I heard right. Or if she doesn't go for it, then there'll be some minimum that you do with the dog without her.
1: Yeah. And so I think that makes sense. And I'll, I'll say like, like one, right. I mean, you know, I, I tend to take, when, when we're in the city, I tend to take Rudy out in the mornings. And so we're not, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure Boston common counts as, you know, it's, it's, it's not the wilderness, but it is closer to nature than you usually get in a city. um, And, when I think about it, right that is not what we are describing because you're not you know it's 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 twenty minutes it's not it's not hours but i I get because of that some hint of the val- of the you know sort of what doing this will do, and it sort of tells me, oh yes, if I do it, I will stick to it because you know taking Rudy for a walk in the morning went from being a nuisance to something I look forward to very quickly
0: yeah the the goal is not. Um. Min- well, the implementation of the plan, the goal is going to be like minimum time, I guess, something like that. But it's really manifesting something like what you get among the Redwoods. That's the goal. So it's whatever can get you to whatever is something that implements that. It doesn't have to be being among the Redwoods. So that's where making it practical and, and a smart goal fits in. And that's what I'll ask you is, is you know, I'll, I'll ask you to recall the Redwood description and then ask you how the walking went. That's step two, you know, the the second conversation or in our case, third conversation on the Spodak method is to review how it went. Now, you might remember there are three criteria, something you do yourself with your own hands or feet and uh, something you're not already doing. So it fits both of those. Now there's a third one that it has to, Leave the world better than you found it in some way. Some physical component. It can't be, you can't leave it worse. You don't have to try to make it better, but just you can't, it can't be just absolute neutral or negative. So does this leave the world better than you found it in some way?
1: It doesn't start that way, but uh, what I I would say is what I should do when I'm doing this is is, um, the process is what I learned from your friend and mine, Everett, is if I'm walking, make a point of like, taking a trash bag with me and picking up any letterizing. I see.
0: Okay. So if that, that sounds like it fits the bill. So that activates, see how there's this activation component that it's not just passive experience of nature. So that's a part of this method, that criteria, that, uh that constraint. So now you have your marching orders, literally. I like it. Now, let me ask you a question. I walked you through this process. You would not have come up with this had I not walked you through it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't come up with this specific thing. Are you doing this for me? So I don't think so. Um, I mean, partly, yes. Yeah. So I, I would not have done it without, you. like,
1: it's because it, you know, um, uh, partly because it's easy to get caught up in the, in the press of events. And partly because, you know, at this moment in my life, I feel... You know so the jo- the joys of being a rel- still a relatively newlywed. I guess is I feel so happy. I do not feel a need to change. Right? I'm not like I feel no pressure whatsoever to be like, oh, I need to do something to change my life. I I've never loved my life this much, uh, and it's a wonderful feeling. Um, but I don't think I'm doing it for you in the sense that what your method does quite powerfully is get me to to you know to take perspective on. Uh, you know, uh, even one that I'm, you know, extraordinarily happy about, and say, okay, what what can be added to it that would be of value and worth? And as you said, the third step three, good for the world, even in a very minor way.
0: Yeah, I'm tapping into what's already there, or you know, leadership theory, whatever. It's it's uh, tapping into intrinsic motivation. And how actually, what do you think? How do you, how do you think you'll answer when I say, how did it go?
1: I mean, I think the answer will be twofold. One was that I took something from it that was very, you know, that, was, that changed, you know, sort of was valuable and changed my life in a meaningful way. But I think the other half of the answer will be it was much easier than I thought it would be. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, keep that in mind because I predict that when we talk, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to, that'll be like the, nothing compared to the actual experience. Yeah, not like nothing. It'll be something, but but the actual experience will be qualitatively more. In a way that you that as soon as you start doing it, you'll be like, oh, this is what I've been missing, or this is oh, I like something in in the doing in the experience reveals something that when you're not doing it, you can just dismiss as like oh whatever. Yeah, it's kind of nice to go to go walking the park, but I got to work on my book. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, this is. <laughs> The book is going to be much better as a result. Like anything in life is going to be better as a result of this. Something like that. I, I mean, I certainly hope that's true. I am look for, I look
1: forward to finding I don't doubt you. It's, it's like, I don't doubt that you, I don't doubt the truth of what you just said. It is hard to imagine from state A that that would be my, that where I would be in state B. But
0: I'm looking forward to finding out. Pardon me. What, what drives me is, so now exiting the Sputum and just talking me to you, is I believe that society is that way as well. Our, our entire culture is neglecting something and saying, oh, "Yeah, yeah, it's there. It's kind of nice, but really, we got this other stuff to do." I mean, there's GDPs to to be grown, and then we don't realize how much we're casting aside. And I, I say this as someone who you know started a company and built it up to eight-digit valuation and hired people and operating all around the world. And while I was doing it, I was like, "Do I? Does the world really need this?" And I was like. Yeah, of course, because free trade is, benefits everyone. It, it improves the world. I can take for granted that this is making the world a better place. And now looking back, I'm like, I was really neglecting something important there. So it's interesting. I mean,
1: I'll say so. You know, my, my family's from India, right? And
0: I, have you ever been in India, Josh? Yeah, my parents met there, and uh, my sister was born there. Oh, wonderful! I had no idea. Ahmedabad, mainly in Gujarat. And so, so I had no idea.
1: And I, I guess what I'm saying is that, is that, you know, the, the level of poverty that you see in like Indian villages is something that, you know, Americans who have not spent time in India or parts of Africa basically cannot process. Right. Like it is not, is essentially something we can't even imagine.
0: So. Have you spent time in China? A little bit, but not as much. So, okay, so I, so I, in recently you
1: know, not recently, but in in my adult life, I've I've sort of weirdly spent more time in China than in India, because I taught in Beijing for for a quite long time. Um, Both the Indian and the Chinese environments have been, like, brutally degraded, right? Brutally, brutally degraded to a level that, again, is something that Americans, I think, can barely process. Um, The Chinese, you know, like, this is not in any sense, making excuses for the, you know, the dictatorial behavior of the Chinese government, but the life of the average citizen of China has improved enormously over the last generation in a way that's you know, because of the GDP growth you were talking about, That a way that's hard to, that's hard to, you know, that sort of can't be denied, right? And that is valuable in a way that, you know, I, as an American who lives, you know, as sort of Live, you know, lives in li- lives a life of relative and, and absolute luxury in any meaningful sense. It's, like, it's hard for me to say to them, well, look, you should not have taken, you know, like this was not worth it. It was worth it for them, but I don't know. I don't know how to say, or like I should say, no, no, I don't know how to get them to the world where, like, they deserve to live as well as we do. But unless all of our lives change profoundly, that is not possible, right? like what that will do is is end life for all of us and this is where you're, you're, you and I the discussion we had before we started taping on sustainability, I think becomes right to the fore
0: there's how do you do you want to go into this the The idea that uh I'm going to share with you something that I haven't maybe by the time. This goes live. I, have, I will have talked about it more, but something hit me recently that there's a second. The Sputnik method is about a mindset shift. To the, the main shift is from, and we'll see how it plays out in you, is that before the shift, people think of acting more sustainably as deprivation and sacrifice, and it's getting away from what improve. You know, nothing has lifted the world out of poverty, more people out of poverty than uh, than free trade and so forth. Various different people have different beliefs that and and worldviews that sustainably, sustainability conflicts with. And the mindset shift is that it brings joy, fun, freedom, connection, community, meaning, purpose. And that the more we act on, the more we move in that direction, the more that we will find those things and that we'll like it. Now, that's just a cultural shift. It's a shift in beliefs. It's not changing. It's not, that alone is not changing behavior, but it will lead to changing behavior. It makes changing behavior a positive experience, something that people want. Right now, that's not that's absent. Most people, they view acting towards sustainability. If I ask people, can you imagine a world without pollution? The most common answer is no. The next most common answer is a mix of either uh, reverting to the Stone Age and everyone's dying at 30, and mothers die dying in childbirth, and, and it's, uh, if you get a cut, you're going to get gangrene and, and die, or get it amputated and there's no anesthesia. Or it's some post-apocalyptic Mad Max hellscape. And if you say to someone with those beliefs, avoid straws, well, they've seen this straw in the nose of the, of the turtle, and they think, well, I don't want that. But they may comply, but they also think, look, Josh, I know where this leads. And if we don't keep the economy growing, we don't have the taxes to pay for the hospitals and so forth, then we're going to have that Mad Max hellscape. So you're an idiot and I know where this goes. So I'll do you a little straw thing, sure, because I don't want the turtle to feel bad. But I'm, that's, a, that's as far as it goes because we're not going to stop the flying. We're not going to stop the nuclear reactors and so forth. No, that would be a disaster. We must keep going. So I, we make a compliance on the small thing. That's management without leadership. That's... Extrinsic without intrinsic. That's working in systems without working on systems. That's not addressing the underlying beliefs. And most people don't draw these things out. They don't really get that people feel like sustainability leads to a disaster, and I'll take a couple steps to make you feel good, but I'm not going to go any farther than that. Now, something that I haven't realized lately is that first of all, those beliefs—there's a lot of beliefs there that, if, if left unchallenged, they just reside in your mind. It's like these are these are beliefs. I mean, the, like this is the reality. I mean. Anti-bellum people just thought, I mean, if you grew up with slaves all around you, you just thought, well, they just want that. That's the way it should be. It's kind of hard to put yourself in the mindset of like, why would we have slaves? But if you grew up with slaves all over the place or you were a slave, like that's the way it, you know, you don't question it. Because I was talking to a guy, now I'm digressing, but I was talking to a guy who wrote all these books on, on, um, uh, Jim Oaks. He's been on the podcast and I asked him, and he's written books on, on the, Anti slavery politics and abolition. Um, and I asked him, just because someone has a different color of skin, why do they think that person, that they get that the person's a human? Why, I mean, why not just, why during, could Frederick Douglass at some point not just say, look, I, I'm going to claim you as a slave, at, at least as a rhetorical device? And he was like, Jim pointed out to me, like, it's very difficult for us to comprehend how obvious it seemed to White Americans in 1850 that blacks could just be owned. Now, if you go back 10,000 years to when other slavery was around, slaves were like conquered in the, the biggest source of slaves was, was war. And I think that if I kept, if, if I defeated you and you had the option of either being a slave or I kill you, you'd probably choose slave. It was maybe compassionate. I'm not sure. I'm guessing at this, but it wasn't the institution that it became in the American South. But by the time it became an institution in the American South, everyone was like, Slaves just have always existed. It's just the way things are. And black means slave. End of story. The flipping around of like a black owning a white was like, what? That, that's like inconceivable. And I, I'm still wrapping my head around how inconceivable it was or how what what seems inconceivable to us was completely obvious to them. And our beliefs about growth and things like that are just unbelievably part of reality to us. Yet we have uh, Hawaii, after the Polynesians discovered it and stopped trading, for something like 500 years, they were there on these islands before Captain Cook stumbled on them. They didn't grow past what their, what their environment could sustain. They weren't growing. And an economic theory that says you must grow has to face that there are many... I mean, Hawaii is just one of many, many examples that didn't grow and they did just fine. And I dare say I'd rather be in Hawaii then than in Hawaii now. I mean, my friend lives there and he was just talking about this big gas leak and all the pollution and so forth. And anyway, uh, there's lots of things that we just feel like it's just that way. There's no other way. And we start pulling at the string and the whole sweater comes unraveled. But we don't question it. I forget if I... I don't know how far off I've gone from where we were. So I'm not sure either, but I think it's fascinating. So
1: back up. So I I was talking with my wife and... A few months ago, right? That I was that one of the greatest tragedies, like in all of human history, is when you read stories of the first European explorers who came to the United States, to North and South America, and they talk about their experience of nature, right? And their experience of what nature looked like is so far outside of our day-to-day life that it is impossible to imagine. Right? Like like we cannot you cannot get there from here. Mm -hmm. Right? They talk about ships that were frozen in the water
0: because the schools of fish were so large that they could they could not sail through them, right? I've come across this, yeah.
1: Yeah, and 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 it's not it's stunningly, it does not appear to be hyperbole. That actually is what nature was like in the absence of a highly technological civilization, right? Now there is some evidence to suggest that that this is partly because when these the, a lot of these stories come from like after smallpox had arrived in North America, and so the the Native American populations had been had dropped by like seventy percent, and so you know and so so there's some ev- there is some argument that this is not like oh gee this was ended by the, the presence of Western right that, that that this was a moment in time that may not have lasted um, for all that but but whatever the case may be. It gives you some sense of what nature is like without humans, um, and yeah, I said that you know the the level of tragedy, both that this existed and we no longer, and it no, does no longer, and this is what we did, and also that we did not get a chance to experience that, right? Like how impoverished our lives are that we cannot, you know, even, not only do we not, we cannot even imagine what that life was like. I think it's, it's hard from, it's, it is hard to get past. Yeah,
0: you know, more than we can't imagine it. We, the more that we push it away, the more that we rationalize and justify that that was a good idea. And the, eventually the rationalizations, and justifications become not only do we believe them, they also become our culture.
1: Well, so I find it fascinating that you say that, Josh, because, um, so, um harvard business school tradition and it is an odd tradition but you know i believe in tradition so there you go is that the last class of every semester the professor is supposed to like share some wisdom with their students they can have going forward and i find it odd because like i wasn't sure i had any wisdom that my student students could you know needed to hear but what i share with them was said to them is 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 essentially in, at a small scale what you just said at a large one which is that you know how do people with everything going for them go wrong Right. Like, how is it that Jeff Skilling ended up in, you know, ended up in prison type thing? Right. And and the answer, which I said was that nobody ever starts out, sets out to do the wrong thing. Nobody wakes up today and says, I'm going to be a bad person today. Right. What they do is there are things that they want to do and they create justifications for why this thing that they want to do is actually the right thing to do. And then they do it. But the justifications take on a life of their own. And make the next wrong thing and the next wrong thing easier and easier and easier, and eventually you end up becoming Gone. And so the fatal step was not the last one, but the first one.
0: This is what my book is about. This is. It reminds me of. Um, do you read *The Selfish Gene*? Richard Dawkins. Oh yes. Do you remember? There's a part. I got. I'm. I'm in the process of looking this up. The. There's a point where he's talking about how cells there were unicelled creatures and then multiple cell creatures and there was sexual reproduction. And at one point, he says, one cell had a, like one reproduce, some way of reproducing, I forget, I have to look it up. One got big and the other got small. And I'm like, okay, sure, that makes sense. And then he goes, and thus began male and female. And I was like, well, that's a tiny little change. And I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like the male is going to become bigger, more mobile. And this is just on the cellular basis, but like the male side is going to become Bigger, more mobile, and produce lots of them. I'm sorry, the smaller cell is going to be. Yeah, the it's, smaller cell is more. Yeah, yeah, the male is going to become, but ultimately a bigger creature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but it the other the bigger cell has is less mobile, and therefore, but also has the advantage of it knows its offspring is its, and so all the stuff between and and you know there's going to be like. Male seahorses, I think, are the ones that take care of the young. So there's, you know, evolutionary niches that are different. But generally, and I was like, wow, that little difference, that tiny little difference, led to all the male-femaleness of all the plants and animals in the world. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then, because lately I've been thinking about this difference, and I got to look this up too. I think most, or I think indigenous cultures tend to have a feeling, tend have a practice of don't take the last fruit. Leave some for others and leave some for the fruit, of the, the plant to reproduce. I contrast that with, so one belief is don't take the last one or not belief, but practice. The other is eat all you want and then take a little bit. If you want more, then take a little bit from someone else. And I think the former, from the, from the view of the latter, the former looks like, well, you get less stuff. There's more to be had. So it looks like depri- deprivation. And it's actually, but in the experience, it's for the, the person in that culture, it's disciplined, but the result is actually abundance because now the world has lots of stuff. The other one looks like you get more, but the result is scarcity because you're always taken from each other and the world becomes more scarce because you're taking everything. Now the second one also leads to, well, if I want more, I got to make more. So I got I can science and technology and agriculture and so forth and you and you get you create more and more and more, which would be great in an infinite universe. Let's say an infinite planet. But it's not infinite. Now the first way it looks like you don't do all the develop. You just get what you get. Nature provides a certain amount, and then you live within that. So you're not focusing on planting more trees. You're fo- focusing then instead on yourself and your relationships with others so that you live within the means and that your community keeps track of each other so that you're all cooperating. But the other one is you're fighting. And I feel that that little difference might be sort of like what Dawkins talked about with that slight difference led to male and female. And that slight difference led on the one hand to um, living sustainably. On the other hand, led to imperialism, colonialism, slavery, and environmental degradation. So, so keep going,
1: actually, Josh. I I don't have an
0: immediate response. Well, what I'm trying to do is get back to the former, yeah, and demonstrate that it's not a it's not a step backward. So here's the the question that I
1: would ask you that I think is is I mean like like I think you have an answer, but I, I want to hear it, right? Which is um, so I I mean I, mean, I make jokes about having spent so long at MIT too long at MIT, but right I I am I am a deep believer in science and technology as positive goods. Does that make sense? Like like I think like I think they are good they are actually good things for the world, right? Now how you use technology can be very bad for the world, but if you have a choice but to like to push science forward or not, you should I would say. Your bias should be very strongly towards pushing. And you may not, you, you may not agree with that, but this is, this is where I, the world I come from. Um, the way I put this is, the Webb Space Telescope probably, you know, may or may not have any immediate impact on life on Earth. It may never have any impact on the life of most human beings. And yet, I think it is one of the greatest achievements in the history of the human race. And like it is part of what makes us you know look make, makes me look at humanity and say there's something here worth preserving is that we did this we were able to create this and you know, this extraordinary achievement of mass of science and technology and, and that allows us to understand the universe right, to understand the universe right like to look back in you know billions of years in time and understand what that universe was like does that it doesn't raise i don't know if it raises gdp it probably doesn't but i still think it was worth doing so I think, I and again, I'm not, I'm not sure you agree with me, but I believe that it is possible to create a highly technological civilization that is, in any meaningful sense, sustainable. That is, that it will not have a large impact on, on the environment in a way, or a negative one. I do not think we are anywhere close to that state, but I do think it is possible to get there. What scares me and worries me is that I think it is possible for the United States or for the Western Europe, or for countries that are already highly developed. What worries me is I don't know how to get there for people in countries that do not already start out from that very privileged state, right? I'm not sure there is a path to, you know, what I would just say say is a decent life for human beings, which if you live in a, a rural Indian village and die at 35 of starvation, you do not have. Um, that does not involve profound environmental damage. I hope that there is, but I don't know what it is.
0: Most of what you said, as I take it, stemmed from you believe that science and technology are good.
1: That, that is the ba- that's the basis of where it is. That's, that's right. I do believe that. Yeah. And
0: so if you have that belief, you're trying to extrapolate to where it results in a really great situation, a good, you know, a very good situation. Now, i I put you. The more I've come around, the, the more I've looked at this, the more I come around. And by the way, I felt that way when I was developing my technologies, and I got patents, and you know, I, I built that satellite orbiting the Earth, and it's actually one of the press. Well, in some ways, it probably contributed to the the Webb Space Telescope. And technology is does not is not good or bad. It is is it's valueless. If I talk about fire or sharp knives. It augments the values of the person wielding them, wielding the technology, which follows with, with legislation as well. And, and religion is kind of like that too. It, it augments the values of the person using them. With a sharp knife, that's obvious. A chef, a sharp knife is wonderful. A psycho killer, not so wonderful. It augments the values of the person wielding it. Fire, same thing. It can burn down a house. It can warm up your dinner. We all know this. I'm spouting cliches. Nuclear, uh, nuclear energy, same thing. All the technology, it augments the values of the person, of the people wielding them. So historically, some ones that are relevant to the environment. The first one, the first big one I think of is, is James Watt's steam engine, which I looked up recently is 2.5 times more efficient than other steam, the previous, the Newcomen steam engine. And people thought coal use would go down. Well, it's more efficient. It's using less coal for the same output. As you know, coal went up. Coal use went up. Because more people were using more steam engines to do more things. So each use went down, but the overall use went up. Now, pollution wasn't such a big deal for them, but that pattern happens over and over again today. We make things more efficient, but the challenge is the problem is total pollution, but we're valuing efficiency as a strategy as opposed to as a tactic within the strategy of what are of different values. If you value efficiency or you just take for granted that free trade equals good, which I would agree, but I I don't agree in slavery that trade is good. If That's not free. If one person or if people involved are involuntarily forced into the interaction, then you and I could trade. But if I employed slaves to make the product that you bought, well, let me go back a step. If I sell you something, if I make something and you buy it, and you value the thing that I made more than the, your money, and I value your money more than the thing I bought, then the trade benefits the world. It's, it's good.
1: Yeah, we're both better off.
0: Yeah. So- in in that situation, more trade equals more good, more growth equals more and more good. But if one of the people involved is a slave and did not consent and cannot consent and was coerced into it, then more trade does not equal more good. And even if it does equal, what if the net is still good, but one person's really suffering, but the other two are benefiting so much more? I think we've decided as a society, that's not acceptable. That's still not good enough. And I would say if if to make my product I pollute, and I can't keep that pollution on my property, but it gets into the whole world. I would contend that's a similar situation where more trade does not equal more good. And we have not yet decided, well, what if it if it's a net good, but someone's really, really suffering, but the others are really benefiting. I We haven't looked at that as a society in the way that people in the United States in 1860 and so around then were getting. So there's another situation that, So, more trade doesn't necessarily, more trade if people involved are forced and coerced into it and are suffering from it is not necessarily a good thing. So, if we use efficiency as a proxy for good, but it's not, then efficiency doesn't benefit. Likewise with growth. So, the other big example after, I mean, you probably know that Uber and Lyfts, the, these ride-sharing apps were expected to reduce congestion and traffic and miles driven, but they've increased it. Increased, it, made it much worse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another uh, efficiency has led to more overall. Now people are getting more rides, but that's not necessarily better their lives. It may, might just be something that they found convenient. And, um, but the the big example is the Eli Whitney's cotton gin, which was cotton gin. The, the
1: cotton gin saved slavery. Yeah. That's the short version of it. Yeah.
0: Well, it didn't just save it. it, I mean, it blew it up. It made it profitable. Yeah. And so now the cotton gin made pulling the, co- the part of the cotton you want and pulling the seeds out from it much more efficient. It was more efficient. You could say it required less labor for the same output, and therefore you could have expected labor to go, to go down. But the people who owned the gins didn't value less labor. They valued more profit. And so they it, they bought more and more of them and planted more and more cotton. So the exact same technology in two different people's hands can have entirely different effects. So I do not believe that technology is good. I believe that technology augments the values of the people using it. We have to examine our values. Right now, we value efficiency and growth, believing them to be proxies for good. That's my read of the situation. Other people may see it differently. And so if we augment, if we increase profit and growth, which is actually polluting and hurting people, I think we'll have the same result as the American South did pre-18 before the Civil War, which is we'll just, we'll get more, we'll, we'll increase what we're getting now. So that's why I see fusion could be great in a culture that valued living, leave it, leave it there. Don't take the last one, but not use it all up and then get some, get some more somewhere else. So
1: I, I would just note though, right? Josh, that I think empirically wealthier societies value the environment more than poor ones do.
0: If that were the case, why do we keep taking land from them? From who? Why do we keep taking resources from them? And why do we keep giving our waste to them? I think it looks cleaner, but looks can be deceiving.
1: So, I mean, you could just like, so I I would say looks cleaner is the Beginning of the is probably the beginning of the process, right? Um, we, we, I sort of make we sort of make jokes about charismatic megafauna, but it's actually true. Um, people seem to have, you know, if you can use "save the polar bears" as a reason to get people to save the Arctic, that's a win, right? Even if it's even if they should be caring more about saving the Arctic than saving a particular Arctic
0: species. I don't mean look good. Um, I mean look good here, but worse in there. I mean, if we take a factory from here and put it in China, it looks good here. And we've wrecked China. I mean, I'm grossly oversimplifying. I have to be careful when I say this, okay? Let me let me say it more precisely. Yeah. If we take a factory in a place with high regulation that keeps things clean, and we put it in a place with low regulation and it's cheaper, then it will pollute more for the same output. And the net effect on the earth will be to lower its ability to sustain life, even though in the place where the factory was moved from looks cleaner. But actually, the decision was made by the people who – the people who did it are the ones who like the environment who, who are polluting more, even though it looks cleaner by their homes. So, so I agree with that. I think that, that that's a that's a real
1: concern. I, I just say, I mean, so I mean, right? Like there is there are empirics on the extent to which the United States is offshore in carbon pollution, and it turns out it's a lot less than we thought, right? So, but I agree with you entirely that that that, that everything you just said, I agree. I agree. With. Um, I, I what I'm what i But I'm still saying is okay, but. If you are a poor, a Chinese peasant laborer, and you say the price of you, right, getting, you know, getting a, a, a objectively much better job and p- creating a, you know, getting a chance to educate your children and things like that, is that environmental degradation? It is difficult for me, a person who, you know, has all the things that Chinese peasant labor would like to have, to say they're wrong. Right, that is a hard thing to say. It might be true, but it is not something that you and I should do
0: should do lightly. There wasn't poverty before all this trade. We created poverty, and then said, "Let's." And what created it, we'll use that to fix it as well. So, so I, I got to
1: say, I, Josh, I got to strongly disagree
0: with you on that.
1: Like, we can look at what we, you know, we we can have pretty good data on what life was like for, say, the average Chinese peasant in 1600.
0: And it was awful. I'm not talking 1600. I'm talking 50,000 years ago. So, I mean, so 50,000. So then, I mean,
1: 50,000 years ago, to the extent that there wasn't poverty, it was because people didn't understand there was an alternative. But no one, either you nor I, would choose to live that way.
0: People who are... That's why, amazingly, the, the day that I started, that I unplugged my apartment from the electric grid, I read Sebastian Younger's Tribe, which recounts mm-hmm. many... Other cultures look at our culture. Many of them get on board. Many of them are assimilated. But many of them, why do Why do indigenous cultures still exist today? When I grew up, I, I thought, well, they're living in the stone age. And no one said it outright. But implicit was, because they're so stupid and ignorant. And we got to go teach them. But that's not their perspective. Their perspective is, And I'm not saying we have to live like them. I'm not saying we have to revert to live in the stone age, which is grossly not what I'm saying. And people jump to that because we're used to living in a certain... Like we live thinking it's progress or regress. Those are the choices. That one sucks. This one's awesome. And if you... you know There's a clear line showing better over time and worse backward in time. But then they look at us. There are many of them who look at us and say, if I were to live like you, yeah, I see... The science and technology and so forth. But for me to go there means I have to give up equality and community and freedom, and that's not worth it. We if we judge them by our projections onto them of our rationalizations and justifications that we've taken to be truth, yeah, that looks terrible, but that's not what it's like for them. Like people often say, Josh, you don't understand. Nature's trying to kill us all the time. You step out of the, the womb of our, of our society and nature, there's like viruses and, and, and um, predators and things like that. Then you go to them and they're like, nature is, is warm and, and sustains us and it's plentiful and abundant. It's not dangerous, but we tell ourselves that and then we believe it. Now, what I'm not saying is we have to revert to that. Yeah, I love science, but to me, science is, is, is about the beauty of nature and it's not necessarily creating technology. So, I think when you go from a hunter-gatherer society to an agricultural society, an agricultural to modern society, the connection, the knowledge about nature drops precipitously at every step. We know nothing about nature compared to what they know about nature, to a culture that lives off of it. So, our science is—if if science is lab coats and PhDs and, and published papers—well, we do more of that. But if it's understanding how nature works and systems and things like that, we're terrible.
1: I guess I would say differently is I think we're a different we than they are. So I know nothing about nature compared to someone who lives that way. But we as a collective, we don't know everything they know about living in that environment. But we know many, many things about nature that
0: they do not. And they know many things that we don't. And the practical effects is that we're wrecking it and they're not. So I actually, so I actually kind of disagree
1: on both of those fronts. Um, so the one is that they're not is like, I think the more that we have studied the impact of sort of non-technological human societies on nature, the more we have learned that we vastly underestimated them. Um, so I think that they had impacts on the natural world to such an extent that we you know, we like. I th- I believe that for example there is non trivial evidence that the Amazon rainforest that large portions of it were essentially created as opposed to an ar- artifact of a purely natural world. Um we certainly know that the American grasslands were created right they are artificial they are as artificial as Manhattan. Um so that so so that like that's a Big statement about how different the world is. Okay. Yeah.
0: When I said wrecked, yeah. we are lowering Earth's ability to sustain life and they were not. So Earth can sustain fewer lives right now as a result of our uh, the past couple decades than it could before. So, I mean, if by that you mean all
1: forms of life, that is true. If by that you mean human lives, I don't think it's true.
0: Um, We're not living sustainably right now. Take away the non-sustainable parts, and we co- we collapse. So that's true, but I mean, like, so that's not sustain. It can sustain well, life? Well, so I mean, this is it's. Uh, I, 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 I guess this is
1: a much. It is, I think, a complex question. So, right, there are eight. Well, I mean, I think the human population is eight billion right now. Right. Um. What What would life be like? So, and, you know, like, like I think, you know, all of the charts say it's never, it's all, I think say it's, it's probably never going to hit nine, which, you know, I, I do not think the world could, at least at, a, at our current level of technology, it's hard for me to imagine a world that could sustain nine billion lives for any any, any, for any prolonged period of time, although yeah, you know, could be wrong. But sort of when I, when I look at the hunter gatherer societies you're describing, Josh, like the anthropology that I've read suggests that their average life expectancy was something in the range of 30.
0: I'll send you the paper that says it's 72. Counting infant
1: mortality rate. Cause I, I mean, I know that 72 was, you know, would not be that great for a developed society. Like, you know, even the United States, which lags almost every other developed country has a much higher life expectancy than 72. But um, like I say, I do not think it's anything close to 72 for any currently existing hunter-gatherer society
0: you know that's the i'll send you the paper if you want it's um yeah i'd be very curious yeah but like we to go from 30 to 70 in the past several generations was not new stuff it was a return to what we our evolutionary ancestors what they've evolved to We're, we're restoring what was already there we're a little bit past it now but we're it's decreasing again
1: Oh, uh, I mean, well, American life expectancy is decreasing, but every other industrialized country is increasing. Yeah, I mean, the Japanese life expectancy goes up by
0: a quarter a year every year at this point. I don't want to get into I don't want to get too much into into the weeds. Yeah. Um, but the Yeah, if we we're we're projecting, it's difficult to say what it would be like if we were there as opposed to and grew up there as opposed to if you wreck, if you wrestle us out of, if you pull us out of here and stuck us into there, that's a different story than if we grew up there. Like me today, yeah, I, I would have a hard time living in nature, but people who grew up in nature don't have that, have that challenge. So if we're judging them by our standards, yeah, it, they fail totally as do we by their standards. So yeah, so I
1: agree with that. What I, I would, but it seems to me that what you're getting at is what my, you know. My my old mentor Stanley Hoffman would say is is the problem of path dependence, right? Because we are here. So let's say, for the sake of argument, and that I agreed with you that life would be you know, would, you know, would be vastly better if we if we were closer to that state.
0: I'm not saying it's vastly better. It's just it's yeah. not destro- It's not lowering Earth's ability to sustain life. It's it's not bad. I'm just saying it's not bad. It's just, it's not worse than we have now. It's just less polluting and less draining on the resources and therefore sustainable. I'm not trying to say it's wonderful. I'm not trying to say they weren't killing each other. I'm saying that their problems were the problems that all humans are going to have. They just weren't lowering Earth's ability to sustain life. It's not peace on Earth. It's just the problems aren't cancer and PCBs and, and Microplastics in our bloodstream crossing the placentas. It's not peace on earth. It's not great. It's just not reverting to the Stone Age. And for that matter, for whatever they... Ha- I'm, I'm not saying I want to revert to that either because I had to look this up. But before we started polluting, here's some things that we came up with. Anesthesia. Antibiotics. Democracy. All of arts, all of culture, all of sports, religion, all of those things came after or before we started polluting. So we don't have to give up any of those things. We don't have to give up vaccines. We can still have those things.
1: So Josh, so I'm, I'm just going to push you on that a little bit, right? Like anesthesia is a product of the late 19th century.
0: Anesthesia goes back. Alcohol was used as an anesthetic a long time before. I mean, like thousands of years ago. Well, yes, but, you know, anesthesia
1: in the sense of that, that you would be willing to, to actually undergo surgery for
0: is, is quite, you know, like, like where, where you are not screaming in pain. Is a very modern phenomenon yeah i'm still saying we can keep we can still pr- make progress we just don't need p- to pollute to do it so there we are in
1: agreement right like I, I do not disagree with you but as i said i think it is possible to create a highly technological society one that continues to make progress without without huge levels of pollution like like so yeah like, i mean i think you know again maybe i spent too much time at mit I think we are starting to learn how to do that. We're much we're very far away from where we need to be. But I do not like I do uh, okay, here's here's what I say. I think sustainability is really important. I don't see a non-technological path to sustainability. That's the way I would put it.
0: Even we we were, I mean humanity was sustainable for hundreds of thousands of years without te- the technology being rocks and, and fire.
1: Yeah, but I I, I do not neither see it as possible that we would go back to that state, nor do I have any desire to go back to that state.
0: I'm not saying we have to go back to that state. I'm saying we, we had sustainability with minimal technology. Right.
1: But what, so I think, I think we're saying the same thing, we're saying it differently. Um, there are 7 billion people on earth, right? Maybe 200 years from now, there will be many fewer. But in the foreseeable future, absent catastrophe of unimaginable proportions... There are going to be a lot of people on earth. I cannot imagine a sustainable, multi-billion person human
0: civilization that is not deeply technological. Okay. That is a statement of your imagination. And I agree that I have often described our sustainability, our environmental issues as a failure of imagination and a failure of leadership. And I'm working on both of those things. I'm not surprised that you can't imagine it because you grew up in a world that said technology is good. If you believe technology is good, then less technology is bad. And so, therefore, that's a worse situation. I also felt that way for a long time. Now I would say technology will augment the values, our cultural values, and the values of the individual using those things. If we don't change our values first, we will achieve what the cotton gin achieved. If we do change the values first, if, if the South were, a, if all the land were co ops and not slaves, And the cotton gin came in. What would happen? That I could see that I've never. Now I'm I'm playing this out of my head while talking to you, and I hadn't even actually thought of that. But what if there were cooperatives, farm cooperatives? I'm not talking communist stuff. I grew up in in my parents helped form a food co-op in Philadelphia, and I think it was a very capitalist thing because there's contracts and everyone owns their share of the organization, and it's and it. But the the profits get distributed through the owners, which is everyone, and the net effect is much more delicious produce and a lot less doof and so i grew up belonging to a food co-op and to me a co-op means the place where you have cheaper more delicious food and the supermarket is where you get the stuff that is the sugar cereals which we weren't allowed to have anyway so what if there were all what if in 18 in 1790 eli whitney comes down visits uh a place like the food crop in Philadelphia that I grew up belonging to, but it's a farm. And all the farms around there are cooperatives. And he brings in the, the cotton gin. I could see, again, cotton blowing up like crazy, but it's a very different situation. There wouldn't be slaves. That's the kind of future that I'm thinking of. So just as much curiosity about the world and, and, and tinkering and making things, but with values that include sustainability, then... I think step one has to be get our values on track. Then that's the strategy. Then the tactic is go hog wild with the technology. So I so I'd say is I
1: think then that the only disagreement we have is I do not think that this is a serial problem, but a parallel one. Um, and I do think that technological improvements can help with this process. So for example, on our first date, my wife and I, had, this, is, this is the way we talk to each other. Had a conversation which was what what is the thing that our grandchildren will look at us and think of us the way we think of our well you know not literally ours but our metaphoric grandparents who own slaves like what is that thing where they will look at us um to me the that answer is obvious eating meat right like like i think our grandchildren will look at us and think we were monsters eating meat. maybe i'm wrong but and but i i like i cannot imagine that they will not look back at us and be like, "What is wrong? what was wrong with you? How could you possibly do such a thing in the same way that I you know like that i if I saw someone mistreating a dog I would you know i like like I would respond with violence in a way that three generations ago would have been ridiculous I would have thought absurd that, that you would be a dog that way um I would say right that it turns out that people really like to eat meat, they just do now we can make cultural shifts. To get them away from that, and they should like when after we had that conversation, my wife and I eat a lot less meat. Like we're like, you know, what if we said this? We should, but we haven't been able to. We haven't gone all the way, and I got to say, we haven't really tried. We've cut back. So technology creates artificial meats, lab grown meat, and things like that. And you think that's good? I do. That's right. I would say that that is a situation where cell, you know, cellulosic meats, like or you know, or plant based, but meats meats that are you know that meat that meat. Sorry, no pun intended. That that actually is a genetic craving for these types of foods. Are an absolute, like, like if you can do that so that that is cheaper than, you know, raising cattle, I think people will switch. I think that is a good thing for the world. It would be good for the environment. It would good in every single way. And I think it would make the, technolo- the transition that you were talking about to sustainable life a lot more, I'm trying, I, I swear to God, I am not trying to make food puns, palatable to people. Because as you said, like people, you know, it's not making, well, okay, but this is a sacrifice that many people are not willing to make.
0: Uh, and they may not have to. Yeah. All we have to do is not have any side effects. Like every other time we've done this and the side effects always become bigger than the, the main effects. And so it's the cotton gin and it's the steam engine all over again. I agree. The cotton gin makes life better. And then that's not the way it, the way it plays out. So, so, So all things have side
1: effects, but I do not agree that the side effects are always bigger or negative, right? So the cotton gin... Sustained slavery. That is true. Penicillin had side effects, but it undoubtedly made the world a better place. Right? Like whatever those side effects were, we would look at them and be like, worth it. And so it is true that side effects are a real thing, but it don't, they don't have to be all, uh, overwhelmed,
0: more negative than positive. They don't even have to be entirely negative. Some side effects are hugely positive. So I've spent most of my life believing that technology was good. Mm-hmm. I challenge you to stop starting from that perspective. Try for a while. See what happens if you think, and maybe I haven't thought about it enough. If I, if I start with technology equals good, where do I go? I'll try that. And you try technology augments the values of the person using it or something. I don't know. Just, just don't take for granted that technology is good because once you think technology is good, There's a lot of ways. I mean, I loved meat growing up, and now I find it repulsive. The idea of eating of my eating it myself. Although when I see this amazing movie called The Great Dance of these, uh, um, I think it was the San Bushman persistence hunting this animal, and I was like, and they have barbecues like every night, but they always leave enough for the rest. I have no problem with that. So so I, I think this would be a great thing for
1: us to take up when we did this did the next discussion. Um, but what I would say is I I do think that technology magnifies the values of people of the people who develop it. I, I do think that's true. I do think that like my vision of the world as a you know, of technology is a good one will only come to pass if you get more people to buy into your set of values of how to change life. like like i do not think these are hostile views but complementary um but and maybe this is the distinction i also think that people's values change in ways that, i guess maybe this is just me being a, my, my wife says i'm a hideous i'm like i think people want to be good and that the more we create them in a world where they are where their basic needs are taken care of the more open they will be to the sort of values change that you describe. I do know that 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 maybe that is where, where where I would come up.
0: So here's where I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Given your starting points, I agree with all your conclusions. I think your starting points are. I, I don't go with. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, I think you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. So so
1: so uh, so I will take on your challenge, but I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it or flip 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 my own to you, Josh. Is huh. Set, you know, we'll, you know, what, what, what did we decide there? are Eight billion people on Earth now. Um, yeah, you
0: said seven at one point, but I, it's a little over eight, as I understand.
1: Yeah, I think the number is eight. Yeah, um, you can see how old I am because in my head it was because it was seven for most of my life.
0: Um, yeah, actually, it wasn't seven for most of your life. It was for most of your life. It was well below seven, but below seven, well below seven. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it was seven for yeah for of my life. Um, given normal life expectancy and you know birth rates and things like that. Even as we see birth rates dropping and things like that, 50 years from now, there will still be between seven and eight, you know, somewhere between north of seven and under and and sort of south of nine billion people on earth. What would a world, you know, how would, how, my my challenge is, how could you support all of those people in a lifestyle that, you know, I would say is, you know, minimally acceptable or better than that, because... People who have a lifestyle that's much better than minimally acceptable will you know will literally not metaphorically fight to not fight to have it not get worse without you know a world that is fundamentally underpinned by the sort of mass technology that we're describing
0: We'll have to leave that as an open thing now that we'll we'll have to come back to because I'm about yeah i the battery's very low on my computer
1: I, I think that would be a great thing to come back to next time we talk and do this stuff
0: no. I have thought about this a lot. Now, I would I would state it as a mathematician would say it is if it's possible what would it look like? But you if you start with assuming that it's possible in a mathematical proof, you often get answers that not often, but you sometimes get answers that actually it you, ex, you have to prove existence first mm-hmm. in mathematics. So it may not be possible.
1: Yeah, so but I mean if it's not possible, then then i mean right then we have a problem because like
0: because there are this many people that's why i'm doing what i'm doing is and that's why well i value this conversation because you you're clearly stating without losing your shit and uh what a lot of people feel and when they they lose their shit when they say it and this is very valuable to me to to talk it through because uh it seems like there's obvious answers, but we'll have to wait till next time to get to them.
1: I am open to being persuaded. So I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to hearing them.
0: So anything to wrap up with for the audience before stopping recording?
1: Uh, only this, like like um, Josh and I met for the first time uh, in December like, 30th or something like that. So I just want the audience to know, like we have had, you are hearing probably 80% of the total conversation we've ever had. <laughs> Um, And and like how valuable these are for me. So I, I, and just how much I've taken away from them is just extraordinary. And I hope like, like, I hope that the audience listening both gets the, some of you get the chance to have them, but that you're also taking them away because what what you're doing here is really remarkable.
0: I'm honored and flattered and, uh, and can't help but leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Gotham. Thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.